Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So my question last week was, when Seattle joins the NHL in the fall of 2021, should the NHL schedule a game between Seattle and Montreal to to decide the 1919 Stanley Cup, which was never completed due to the Spanish flu epidemic? And on the Stanley Cup itself, it actually says series not completed. I think Pat and I can do this in a countdown. Three, two, one. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, my cadence was a little off. That's after, okay. After one, but. Eh. Latency issues. Yeah. Yes. A million so, times, yes. So I, we, we may have discussed this a bit off the air last week, but this needs to be a game that happens before the regular season begins. Like, it should be, like, the last pre quote-unquote preseason game, right? That way, Seattle will win and then have a <laughs> banner-raising uh, ceremony against the Montreal Canadiens as the first game of the NHL season. <laughs> I mean, that's what has to happen. Yep. Yep, yep. Well, I mean, it says on the Stanley Cup series not completed. It wasn't canceled. It wasn't like there was, there's no definitive like language on the cup itself that says they couldn't do it. Not completed suggests that it would be completed at a later date, right? Correct. Yeah. And given the league's love of revisionist history. And, and they should I be wanna, all over this. They should be all over it. And I want to point out. Both fan bases should be all over it because there's a potential for Montreal to rub it in that they have 25 Stanley Cup championships as a franchise. Because they're not going to win one between now and then either. Shush. So this is their best. This is their best <laughs> shot. No, won't. Shush. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a hundred percent true. But let's put facts aside. <laughs> Damn it! This is the NHL. Episode. Now this, yeah. Now <laughs> facts, we are talking about place here. We are talking about going into a season that they should have a window open. Should, <laughs> but facts. <laughs> I mean, when they re-sign Ilya Kovalchuk soon. <sighs> you know what, Pat? Your sense of humor is highly underrated because you' funny. <laughs> I, I've got some zingers and unfortunately it's for a very niche audience oh that's okay mm. so yes a million times yes a million a million and bajillion and trillion times yes I don't care if it's somewhat ceremonial allow the Seattle fans to boo Gary Bettman as he comes out on the ice to present just the top part of the cup because let's be honest in 1919 they should they should only be presented with what the cup looked like in 1919 Yes. The games were suspended. And we go from there. Yeah. And can and it be then, a hologram of whomever the league president was instead of Batman? <laughs> Do we have pictures of this guy? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure there are some. There are two there are two or three people we can call. Oh yeah. There's an entire society for hockey research we could probably call. Semi-international. Uh, <laughs> Come on, I'm, 
none of you, none of you did the. I had to do the the trumpet. I, I I wasn't going to bring a bit from another podcast onto this podcast. Ah, eh, podcast has been gone long enough. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, okay. So should they wear the same uniforms? Not 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 in the same way. I mean, you know, safety issues being what they are and all. Not that the NHL really cares, but still. Uh, but like the same. Jersey colors and and that sort of thing. Well, yes. I think Seattle should just be that way anyway, and Montreal hasn't changed their colors in forever, so sure. Because we don't have enough Christmas tree-looking teams, right? No, no, not since Minnesota decided to downgrade. At least their homes. Yeah, New Jersey changed years ago. Hey, but that was about the Italian flag. It was not about the Christmas, eh? <laughs> oh, thank goodness for Halifax, though, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Thank God for Halifax, because... I'm sorry. I was looking at something else. Sure. Squirrel. <laughs> I think I think we've hit rock bottom. Yeah. Speaking of hitting rock bottom, da, 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 da. Um, <laughs> Buffalo Sabers are a trendy topic this week. <laughs> Ooh, all all it took was a pitiful loss against the worst team in the league, who is actively trying to be bad. By Detroit. You know, Front office standards. Yes. How did you guess? I don't think it's so much active as it is passive. They don't have to try to be bad. Exactly. No. no. Exactly. They've got just enough. I mean, they're not going full Buffalo Sabres in the McEichel year. You know, where it's like the old Jeff Merrick joke, oh, our goalie made a save, better trade him. Yep. <laughs> they're, they're at least trying to build from the bottom, you know, because some of the moves Iserman's made so far have been very good about bringing in talent, which as he, as they, as they glom on to all this high end talent, that they're going to get through the draft. You will have those pieces there to complement them. You will have the hockey Mick left wing guy and flippity jibber bop who plays on Sidney Crosby's right wing already in your system. You won't have to go find him. But we are all Dwayne, aren't we? A little bit. A little bit. Um, boy, that man can uh, carry a conversation on for a while. I Is heard it... him. I heard him in the in some subsequent interviews, and oh boy, <laughs> don't be on a time constraint. Is it a conversation if only one person's talking? <laughs> Because I heard one of them as well. It was just the ultimate. There used to be a toy where you'd put in like a little zip line into a wheel and you'd pull it and the thing would just run away from you. you know, like a little car or something. That You would just basically ask that guy a question, put it down, and sit back for like 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. I'd hate to transcribe that, though. I'm <laughs> not sure thought. someone could. <laughs> based on the pauses and turns and... I mean, oh. 
you might need, you know, to reprogram Watson just to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I mean, I get how the guy feels. Um, I mean, I kind of, I kind of lived through it locally, but I mean, I've also seen my local franchise semi unexpectedly win it all, which is fun, but you know, 10, you know, a decade of just misery eats away at people. So you expect to hear or see something different. And when you don't, and I think, you know, speaking from the Carolina market before the ownership change, I felt it. We just had fewer and fewer voices screaming out there. So, you know, someone like me, if I were to be on the radio and rant, eh, it's not really going to take off as much as there are thousands upon thousands of people that feel the exact way that guy did. And he just, he just walked it up the ramp and it worked. Do you think because this show is entirely about tangents and nothing screams tangents like the question I'm about to bring up. Um, (laughs) Do you think the level of vitriol the um, Hurricanes market had was tempered somewhat by the fact that you guys never really had somebody like Eichel? That you you always seem to finish in kind of that mushy middle? You were never so abjectly, abjectly horrible that you were down there getting ones and twos like right. Edmonton was for a few years, but you were never going to contend for anything. So you never got, and I won't say gifted, but you never had the opportunity to get someone like Eichel. Now, before I answer that question, the team was absolutely gifted, Svechnikov. Oh, well, the, thank God. But... but um, yeah, I think the players of that elk and Eric Stahl is the only one that comes close to that description. Um, he was already too well established. He had already won a championship, so it never felt like he was wasted per se. It's more like, okay, now the expectations have shifted and he is a player to carry the team through something and he was not qualified to do that. At least at his age and at the time and the circumstances. So, no, no one in this market was ever wasted outside of maybe Jeff Skinner, who, let's bring it back to Buffalo, who's now sitting there and is still, like Eichel, has still never made the playoffs in his career has never really played meaningful hockey post-New Year's Day. Um, Because at whatever point, we're seeing it a little earlier this year, but the team just kind of, they have their hot streak, and then they quietly fall out of contention in, in late December and January, and then figure in February, how big a seller do they want to be? And I mean, they're they're stuck in their own purgatory where what else can they do? What else can they change? Because they can change front office staff all they want, but there is something else that's rotten inside, you know, their their hockey operations department. 
do we have a Jason Botterill situation where he comes out and says there's something in the water, kind of like Bob Nichols did in Edmonton a few years ago? I mean, I mean there has to be, because I don't think it's... Botterill... I think history would look more kindly upon him had St. Louis not won the Stanley Cup, had Ryan O'Reilly not won the Conn Smythe. Um, he had to get O'Reilly out of the market because he seemed to be part of that. He he caught the whatever was in the water disease, you know, and, you know, a little bit of fresh air and he's a brand new man, but... I don't know that just replacing him, Jason Botterill, is going to solve anything overnight. I'm trying to make, trying not to make the joke. The reason O'Reilly is more successful in St. Louis is because there's no Tim Hortons to run into. Um, <clears throat> really shouldn't, really shouldn't mock somebody driving under the influence like that because it's dangerous to everyone. Anyway. Um, I, yeah, I, uh, that's that franchise. I boy, there was like five or ten minutes that that it was a glimmer of hope, and it looked like they had something going, and then poof. I don't know where the where the where it all went. I can't figure it out. They've got a metric ton of defensemen, so why are they that bad on defense? Coaching. I I think that that plays a large part up until this year. I think you just need one guy, and I don't think Darlene is it yet. He may have a bit of the... Oh, he might be last year's Aaron Eckblad, where all the talent is there, the skill is there, the potential is there, but something isn't connected yet. And well, it's like he's regressed from last year. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I've I've watched a number of games, and I don't see the same player. And that's gonna kill you. I mean, second year in the league, and he's already now a second head coach. Yeah. Um, and I do think timing plays a part in everything. So I think we are going to, you're going to see him take probably an extra season. So it'll be after his entry level wraps up before I think he hits his full stride, which may do the Sabres a favor, but it's a favor that they really don't need to be worried about right now. Well, I mean, you know, sophomore slump, right? It's a thing for some players, not for everybody across the board. It's like they get into the league and they're all on adrenaline and everything is new and <clears throat> nobody knows how they play and nobody knows where they're going to go. And then by the second year, the adrenaline is gone. They know what to expect. Other players know what to expect of them and they have to figure out how to adjust. And so some players are better at that than others. I know, not a satisfactory answer. <laughs> no, no, it's the truth. The harsh truth is generally never satisfactory because it's never an instant fix. It's never 
a simple thing like you know you you trade Bogosian for some forward help, but what are you going to get for Bogosian? Right? I mean, everyone just wants to see and look for the quick fix. Cough, Toronto, cough. Um, <laughs> but they're they they're too close to each other geographically, so they can't trade with each other. No, I was just. That's what Toronto's problem is. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a Toronto problem, not a Buffalo problem. But also, you know, Toronto was all hyper focused on getting a backup goaltender, and when Anderson went down, they ran out and got a goaltender, and haven't won since they got this goaltender, and which just brings down. No, problem. no. Your problem wasn't your goaltender. <laughs> no, they they won in Jack Campbell's debut, albeit in a shoot shootout or overtime against mm. Anaheim. Oof. Should that? I still consider that a loss because it's Anaheim. <laughs> yes. And it went to a shootout. Eh. <clears throat> Eh. So I'm just looking at the Sabres roster here, and and re- remember not, all that talk about Marcus Johansson coming on and being a great influence during their hot streak. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so I would say. I mean, I'm looking at Eichel is absolved. I think Sam Reinhardt has played well. You know, he might just be picking up the extra accounting stats to make him look better. Um, but outside of those guys, and even Darlene, he's he's putting up assists. Their problem is no one scores goals on that team. And outside, yeah. Outside of Eichel and Reinhardt, they're their only. And Vic, Victor Olafson is a, a flash in the pan. I mean, he may be a good player, but he was dining out on a hot power play. So it almost sounds like Buffalo needs to find a Leon Dreisaitl and a Kyler Yamamoto. You might be right. And maybe not rely or heavily invest you know, eight-year contracts and two guys with a little bit of injury problem. (laughs) (sighs) And I love Jeff Skinner, but oh my God, he made it. Signing a long-term deal was probably his kiss of death. Well, it wasn't his kiss of death because he signed a long-term deal. (laughs) Well, no, but when he 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 signed his second contract, um, I think he immediately ran into injury issues again. And it was a contract that set standards and expectations that he could only hit while healthy. Imagine he, you know, he signed a three-year deal at seven million. We wouldn't be as concerned or as worried because you know he missed ten games in the middle of the season. He got off to an okay start, but he alone is not enough. He he. Like you just said, he needs a dry saddle. He he needs a that team needs a Yamamoto, or else they're putting Reinhardt, Skinner, and Eichel on the line, and then just praying to God 
everyone else can play the best trap in the world. And it just it it's not like they've had horrible draft positions for a long time. I mean the the, the parallels between obviously Edmonton and Buffalo are just massive, right? At this point. And and it's weird to say Edmonton's drafted better since the McEichel draft than Buffalo has. <laughs> it just feels weird to say that. I think you just blew my mind. <laughs> I, I, as we were sitting here talking to this, huh? I, I just I just sort of pulled up everything and I'm looking at it and going, okay, yeah, Edmonton is pretty much drafted better than Buffalo since the McEichel draft. And it's not like they've constantly finished above Buffalo in the standings. Yeah. Wow. Man, the more the more layers of this onion you peel. Woo! And here's the crazy thing. I don't think this is necessarily on the Pagulas. Because dating back a few few months, like six to nine months, they've slowly been clearing house. That's a nice time frame, by the way. Um, yeah, very. Um, <laughs> uh, so they've been clearing house of like these mid or upper level executives that kind of sat in between ownership and, I guess, the GM's office. And I don't know if they're still kind of uh, decontaminating everything at this point because – Everything is, seems to be working on, on the football side of things and dating back to you, you look at the Buffalo Buttes when they were under their management and then you look at the Buffalo Bills of the NFL, everything else has been working in their sports and entertainment division of their giant oil conglomerate. So something else inside of the hockey ops is... You know, they're still trying to weed stuff out. So I'm going to do this because apparently I've broken Cassie. Um, <laughs> specifically, this is awesome. I'm going to pull them up and go side by side. Specifically, 2015, Connor McDavid, Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, John Marino. All four of those players are in the NHL. That was four of the five draft picks that the Oilers got in 2015. 2015 for the Sabres, Jack Eichel, Brendan Gould, William Borgen, Devontae Stevens, Giorgio Estefan, Ivan Chukarov. Who? Exactly. I've heard of three of those names because they were all, well, WHL guys and so I heard them on many a radio interview, but now Brendan Gould is down in the AHL. He's had a few games in the NHL. Not a single other player in that draft has has played a single NHL game for the Buffalo Sabres or any other team. Yeah, 2016. This is where it starts to get really funny. Ugh. Yeah, Alexander Nylander. Rasmus Asplund, Cliff Pooh, Casey Fitzgerald. Those are the top four picks for the Sabres. 
Oh, Cliff who? Yeah, Cliff who, the trade target of everyone. Mm-hmm. And then he was traded and eventually became part of an AHL trade just to... Yep. Get rid of... Just get rid of his contract. Yep. And then how, how's that guy... Uh, they traded uh, Nylander for working out, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, Henry Yokoharu, who's a body on the roster. That's exactly right. Exactly right. You know, now granted, Edmonton did not have a great year that year, but because it's Pugliarvi, Benson, and Nimalin, Um Obviously, Pugliarvi, we know what's going on there. Well, I mean, we don't know what's going on, but we know where he's not. <laughs> but 2017, Casey Middlestat versus Kyler Yamamoto. Would Kyler Yamamoto be Casey Middlestat stuck in the AHL right now in Buffalo? Yes. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Middlestat looked okay for a while. Looked like he was going to be that promise, you know, of a of another kind of, I don't want to say Barzal, but kind of that Barzalian type center. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know whether they, I, this is what I'm wondering is if he's down there because they don't want him involved in this tire fire or if they're down there seriously because they were disappointed in his play or if it's a little bit of a and b hopefully it's a little bit of a and b because i mean he's gone down and he's been productive for a you know an ahl team i don't really watch or see but they've got a little bit of talent down in rochester and yeah and, you know, so, again, people are going to start looking at their record. Do not ever look at an AHL team's record to assess the talent on that roster. No. Never. The Hershey Bears were a thing forever. I, I they seriously. Won, but it, it never translated to what's happening in Washington necessarily. Or a Colorado. Guy here, they were Colorado's. Yeah, a guy here, a guy there, but... Thankfully, the AHL has transitioned away from this, but there were certain franchises where they dictated wins above development, and that's why they never had single or or long-lasting NHL affiliations. So, Yeah, that's true. God, I hate when I have to admit you're right. It happens I'm way kidding. more than you would imagine, right? Oh, oh. <laughs> good God. In your guys' new house, did you make sure the doors were wide enough to fit your head through? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Cat and his ego. And, well, I do have a big head. Ego set aside. <laughs> that man wears a nine and three quarter hat. He is not kidding. Oh, yeah. I am kidding because nine and three quarter is ridiculously huge. Um, hmm. So yeah, bu- Buffalo's an enigma wrapped in a puzzle, wrapped in a question mark of. So it's Russian. Yeah, pretty much. 
No, yeah, no, no, exactly. That, it's a, no, it's no. a nesting egg of complexity. <laughs> yes. It, it is not narrative-driven, though, either. It's what you see is everything on the surface level and then everything, you know, beneath that. We kind of see it. We just don't know what it. This this is a situation for House. Yeah. <laughs> um, as I ha- as I had a conversation with some coworkers about this show because the topic of lupus was brought up as we were because it is cold and flu and sick season. Anyway, but you need some kind of crazy diagnosis that someone. Maybe someone that's not worked in hockey recently to uh, diagnose and figure out and maybe solve. And that's why I haven't hated Greg Wyshynski's suggestion that, you know, maybe it's time for a dual GM coach role for, uh, for good, for good old Ralph Kruger, you know, Ralphie, he, he, he says. Every time I say his name, I just go back to a Christmas story. Ralphie! <laughs> Ralphie. We need to send... <laughs> drink your Ovaltine. God damn it, Terry. Um, <clears throat> this is not encrypted email. Um, uh, I... I've been intrigued by that. I've been intrigued by the, the, the people who fight against it, saying it can't be done in today's game. To which I kind of go, why can't it? The head coach, as we've learned by some examples, is largely not as the head coach that we think of back under the days of early Scotty Bowman and Mike Keenan when they were doing most of the coaching, right? We've got how many more, exponentially more assistants and associate coaches taking care of specializations than the head coach now. Not to mention how much more how much larger are certain hockey operations departments where, Yeah. I mean, when you're in the thick of it, like a coach, the day-to-day stuff is already there. And we've already seen how much of transactions are kind of dealt with by the assistant GMs at first. And then, you know, the head honcho just has to sign off or, you know, put a wrench in the gears and muck everything up which I definitely think is a huge cause for why we see a lack of transactions and why things take way too long. It's because certain things just don't hit people's desks. So if he's already in the thick of it and they already have assistant general managers and other front office staff doing the day-to-day stuff, why can't a coach do it? Because they're afraid of Lou Lamorello doing it, and Lou Lamorello is actually a pretty damn good coach. (laughs) (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Or uh, I don't know why I default to Gret- or Gretzky. I don't know why I default to Wyshynski's impersonation of Lou Lamarillo as Mayor Quimby. Because I've met Lou Lamarillo and it was not that bad. <laughs> oh, it's just like his Jim Rutherford. That's yeah, it kind of is. Like... I mean, Lou doesn't like coaching, which is why he's a general manager. But whenever he has been the general manager, fired his coach, stepped behind the bench... His teams have done fantastic, and I'm not sure if that's because they're all frightened of him or because he really is a good coach, but he's always had a really good record when he's coached NHL games as coach and general manager. Oh, dear 
God in heaven, sorry. I just I just scrolled back to 2013. <laughs> oh. R- Rasmus Ristolainen, Nikita Zadorov, JT Comfer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and those they, are... Those Colorado? Are <laughs> We're talking about Colorado uh, now? No, this is... Well, we are now because Zadorov and Comfer were part of the Riley, O'Reilly deal. Mm-hmm. Now imagine if they hadn't done that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Versus Darnell Nurse and Anton Shlepashev were the only two that have made any impact for the Oilers. But oh. so I mean, I mean prior, that was, that was hard, their right? last. Yeah, that was their yeah. last draft draft picks outside of okay Eichel and Reinhardt. They both hit on, but those are the only ones to have played hundred plus NHL games. Uh, I guess Brandon Lemieux, but they're not doing it with the Buffalo. And I think a a good draft pick, if you can get them to play 200 games for your franchise, you're looking great because, okay, you you go back to 2012. Mikhail Grigorenko, where's he? Yeah. You know, Joel Armia. Mark Pissick. These are their first overall picks. Zach Cassian. Tyler Myers. Okay, Tyler Myers did, you know. Win the Calder and, yeah. Marcus Foligno, Braden McNabb. Mm-hmm. And then you start going to those second and third rounds. And they, so something happened, I think, circa 2010. Yeah. When you, when you get only one of your picks to even play games, Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, they may still be cleaning up the mess from Tim Murray. What mess? I'm sitting here looking at his draft record, going, "Where's the mess?" Well, his mess is he what he traded out. He he, he evaluated the talent, but he never kept it around on his his roster. Was. Wait. See, my question when I hear that is, who was oh, brought in in, in that year? <laughs> who was brought in, not who was shipped out? So Murray was there from 2014 to 2017. Okay. So he is responsible, I presume, starting with the Reinhardt draft. I... I imagine that's when he's hired. So Zadorov, Kompfer, Gregorenko, those were all guys that went back to Colorado in the O'Reilly draft, which, all right, in hindsight, makes sense. You know, O'Reilly was worth getting, but I think that trade alone, you could zero in on that. That was patient zero. That That's where everything kind of started. They traded out too much talent. So imagine if you just had two of those guys, you know, insulating around Eichel and around Reinhardt. Yeah, because that's, I mean, when you look at it, when you look at it like this, some you can definitely see something happened. And something really weird happened. 
They were cursed. It was that voodoo curse. <laughs> and I sit there and go, okay, you know, 14. 14 was the year that everybody was tanking. Well, people were tanking intentionally, Buffalo, to try and get McDavid. But, and I, I go back to this, I think maybe when you blow it up that bad in an attempt to land number one, it's going to take you longer to rebuild because you have just eviscerated your franchise. See, that makes the most sense to me. I mean, Edmonton, let's be honest, Edmonton kind of backed into McDavid. We all know that. Um, but if you look to the prior drafts, you know, prior to 2015, um, you know, they had pieces there. Jujar Kara in 2012, you know, Oscar Clefbaum in 2011 alongside Ryan Nugent Hopkins. You know, they flipped Toby Reader for something. But, yeah, you just kind of see that there were pieces here. And you do that with Buffalo, and it gets like they had a lot more pieces in place. A lot more. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Mark Pissick, noted, noted sniper. <laughs> Mark Pissick, right? Oh, yeah. God love him, right? I mean, I want to I dig into that because that's freaking awesome. Dude wasn't going to get any time as a defenseman. They move him up to the wing. Bam! In one game, he ties his, he tied his career high for goals. <laughs> and he did it against the right team. I know. <laughs> the team whose fan base is already living on the edge. So, yeah. Wow. Huh. They're, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, yeah, screwed. Because <laughs> I don't, you know, Rasmus Dahlin, I don't see Dylan Cousins and Ryan Johnson, maybe. I mean, Cousins is a good player, but he, he's going to be, he's a junior center who will end up being shifted to the wing in all likelihood. And... You know, Johnson is whatever. You know, we really don't know. He's going to, I presume he's going the college route. Um, they'll probably invest way too much hope in Yuka Pekka Luka Nainen. Yeah. The, uh, the goalie the, of the future. The goalie. Yeah. Which, as soon as you start saying goalie of the future, you are boned. There is no such thing as goalie of the future. It's goalie yeah. of the present. And that's it. That cupboard is. That's San Jose bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that is seriously San Jose bad. Wow. I mean, even after they fired Murray, Botterill does not. I don't know. That does not look like they're set up for much. I mean, so next year is the year I'd put the 2017 draft on indictment. Yeah. Um, 
Because one would presume, you know, the goalie will be a full-fledged pro. Marcus Davidson, who's playing over in Sweden, you assume he's over in North America by this point. And then the clock starts on the 2018 guys. But when I look and I only see two players that sniffed, uh, sniffed the NHL and they're your first rounders in the top five, yeah, you're boned. Yeah, because my model has always been a year and a half before they play in the NHL. Anything less than a year and a half, and that is completely bonus. Um, that's just a somewhat tried and true model. I mean, you can call it over-ripening. I don't. Over-ripening is when they're down there when they're 22 and 23, like Detroit, because you couldn't find room for it in Detroit. But year and a half is about right, you know. 120 games down, either split between the minors, you know, one more season in, in the dub and half a season in AHL or something, you know, when they're AHL eligible. But yeah. So I think I want to pull a shoot on this and I'm do it in such a way because there are a lot of people that love to pose the question of let's go back and do this. You know, the 2003 draft, because it was just this monster draft. To hell with that. That's easy. So my question is this. Go back and do the 2012 draft. Nail Yakupov. Who would you now take first overall, knowing what we know now, in that 2012 draft? And I'm going to throw out a few names, just to tease. Thomas Hurdle, Morgan Riley, Ryan Murray, Philip Forsberg, Tavo Teravainen were all part of that 2012 draft. Go back and do the first round of that draft. How would you draft it today? Hindsight is 2020. Go back and do the 2003 draft all you want with Getz laughing those guys. Whatever. That's not the challenge. The challenge is redoing the 2012 draft. That's my challenge for homework. It's not technically an open-ended question, but who would you pick first overall in 2012? You can go back and do it again. Follow us on Twitter at 3v3podcast. This has been the 3v3podcast, sponsored by nobody.